James 1.9. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. First Thessalonians 5.11. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him, the Lord Jesus. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Hebrews 10.24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Ephesians 4, 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Last time when I was here, I talked a little bit about how I got to know Broadway. One of the names I mentioned was Dick Hostetler, and Dick and Fran are here. So if you get a chance to, to say hi to them, he, he, he came to support me, which I appreciate. I want to talk a little bit about how I got to the Fort Wayne area uh, before I get into the talk today. Uh, I grew up in Pennsylvania. God's country, and uh, came here in the fall of 1980 and took a position as director of campus ministries at Huntington University. I was 25 years old, and I was way over my head, okay, to be the campus pastor at that age. Um, and when I was there initially for about 13 years, I did a lot of work in student development. I was associate dean. And I made the mistake of going to the president and saying, hey, you know what? We need a better freshman orientation program. And he said, great idea. Why don't, won't you do that? <laughs> and then I said, we need, we need a learning center because kids are coming to college unprepared. Great idea. Get that started. <laughs> and then we need a counseling center because these kids are coming, even though it's a Christian college, they've got a lot of stuff in their background, we need it. You know, why don't you do that too? So as happens a lot of times in a small Christian college, I had five hats and I went to the president and asked him if I could, if he could get some help. And doesn't this sound like a president? He said, well, Jerry, don't work harder, just work smarter. <laughs> I didn't think I was that dumb, really. <laughs> So I got a little discouraged. I started looking around, and, and I was also teaching psychology, and I applied and got an interview at St. Francis and also at Indiana Wesleyan, and I went down there, and Indiana Wesleyan said, hey, we've been looking for somebody to start our graduate program in counseling, and we think you could do it. You think I can do it? Okay. I'll come and do it. So I started a master's in counseling there and ran it for about 12 years. And then Huntington said, come back and run a program here. So I went back to Huntington and I ran that program for about 10 years. And then I met a man, some of you may know him. His name is Sean Fingerly, an amazing man of God. And he had this great vision of bringing more counseling to Parkview Behavioral Health. If you know anything about inpatient psychiatry, there's really not a lot of counseling. So he created a position for me to come, 
And I, I came and I loved it. I loved the patients, I loved the staff, I got to supervise all the, all the counselors and clinical social workers. And it was just a, a great fit. And we were getting this vision, this mission to actually bring individual therapy to the hospital. Well, then he left, and I don't blame him. He took another position, and I was unprotected because I was his guy. And the new person came in, just let me go because that person did not value mental health. So I was kind of stuck. I'd never been fired from anything before. New experience. And thankfully, Huntington had opened up another position for me that I could go back and teach. I went back there and taught for two more years before I retired. And then this is something that I get to do. And I, I really love being able to teach God's word. Um, I thought it was interesting as we were watching the screen flash up no signal. Are you kidding me? Don't we have a signal? Come on, don't we have a signal? You better believe we do. We have God's breath in us. We can connect. Our spirit can connect to the Holy Spirit. And, and we, can, we can, what we're going to talk about today is communicate in a way that people really matter. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's a little faded, uh, but maybe you've been out to eat and you've seen people texting and you think, what? talk to each other. You know, you may see this, especially with younger kids who surround around a phone. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk a little bit about our culture and what's happening to communication and also what's happening to our brains, um, literally changing our brains, social media. So I'm going to talk about that. And then I have a friend who's a historian and he teaches our Sunday school class. And when he starts to talk about history, he says, I'm about to commit history. So I'm about to commit psychology. Okay, I'm going to bring you into what's going on in the field of psychology about communication. It will be consistent with scripture. And then we're going to look at what does it mean to be a good communicator and really treat people as if they are the capstone of God's creation, right? So I'm going to start with what I taught last week because I think it's the foundation. And if you remember, this is God's design for love. And this is really the, the foundation of everything we do. That the Father loved us so much that he sent Jesus so that we would understand his love. Hebrew says Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And you might remember me saying we had prophets and priests and kings. We didn't get God. And he sent Jesus and we got him. We understood God's love. As one of my clients told me once, I need to see Jesus with skin on. We need to experience him horizontally in order for the vertical love of God to make sense. And then Jesus, talking to his father in John 17, a beautiful prayer, said, Father, the love you've given me, I gave to them. And then following the foot washing, he told his disciples, I've got a new commandment. 
And that is, you need to love each other the way I've loved you, because that love came from the Father. And then John in 1 John 4 said, when we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is made complete or perfected in us. So it comes full circle from God the Father through Jesus, Jesus to the disciples, the disciples to one another, and then us to each other in order to understand God's love. That's the foundation. So what's going on in our culture that might take away from that? Well, texting. Okay? Uh, and you maybe don't do 110 texts a day, but I'm surprised when I look at my phone and I'm deleting texts. It's like, whoa, I really texted a lot today, and I didn't even realize that. So this was supposed to come up one at a time, but that's okay that it's coming up at all. We'll just take what we got. There's a group of people called psycholinguists. Psycholinguists study the meaning and communication. And what they've discovered is that very little meaning, exactly what the person means when they say it, very little bit of that has to do with the actual words. You might be aware of this. You also might be aware that there's a big gender difference here. Men pay way more attention to words. Women pay more, may more attention to tone and nonverbal. Let me tell you a quick story. We were newly married. We had young kids. We didn't have a lot of money. It's coming up on Christmas time. Being the good husband, I said, hey, honey, what, what would you like for Christmas? She said, oh, don't get me anything. Let's just have a good Christmas for the kids. You feel it already, don't you? <laughs> I'm not totally stupid. I went back a couple weeks later and said, really, I, I've got some money set aside. What? No, no, honey, let's just have a good Christmas for the kids. And I bought her nothing. Mm. <laughs> Why? I paid attention to the words. I asked her twice. So we went to her dad's, her mom and dad's. Her dad gave me some money and took me out. The only thing open was a CVS. I bought a pair of fluffy dog slippers with floppy ears. And her dad said, don't ever listen to her when she says that. <laughs> what didn't I pay attention to? I didn't pay attention to tone or nonverbal. In fact, she might have looked away when she said that, and that should have sent a message. And women are way better at this than men. Men pay way more attention to the actual words. So no extra charge for that marital uh, help right there, okay? Pay attention to all of it. When we communicate, we need to pay attention to all of these messages in order for people to feel deeply understood. So what else is going on in texting and social media. It's literally changing our brains because we're not connecting like we used to. We're not feeling deeply understood. There's a book a few years back called The Shallows where he studied the changes in the brain and what's going on, and we're becoming great scanners and skimmers, especially when we're scrolling, but we're losing our ability to contemplate and reflect and think deeply. And remember last week I said, listen, study, meditate, memorize God's word. 
Get it deep down into your heart and soul like that tree that's planted by streams of water in Psalm 1. Whatever he does prospers. So we're losing all that. What else we discover from psychology is because our brain scans are way more accurate now, we can, we can fine-tune what's going on in our brain when we actually feel understood at a deep level. And it talks about this deep verbal, nonverbal, emotional attunement has this profound impact on our neurons, our pathways. And this is how we have to learn to communicate. I'm going to talk about the word attunement. When you think about attunement, just think tuned in. You're so tuned in to the other person that you can communicate back, that you get them, you know what's going on. Now, there's a great verse in, in Genesis 2-7, and we just sang about that. It's your breath, okay? It says, man took, God took the dust of the earth, and he breathed in the man, and they became a living being. That's the word for soul. We have God's breath. That person next to you has God's breath. Same thing. Men and women made in God's image, breath of God. I can talk to you more about that after, okay? Um, the person you have conflict with, God's breath. The person that you're trying to reconcile with, God's breath. It's the soul that God breathed into us, and that's how we have to treat each other. The psalmist says, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. That's the word. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. So God made us to benefit from this face-to-face -face communication. Our brains are wired for that. And when we connect deeply and we pay attention to all the different messages in order to get the meaning, it's a powerful connection. And we experience more of God because we're made in his image and we have his breath. So emotional attunement is that we understand all the verbal and nonverbal communication as people are talking to us. The great counselor Carl Rogers called this prizing. We prize people. We treat them as a prize. A beautiful word. He talked about unconditional positive regard. And this prizing goes back to that original slide. It's what Jesus meant when he told the disciples, they're going to know that you're my disciples by the way you love, if you love with the love that the Father gave to me. And the same thing in 1 John 4, the beloved disciple writes that God's love is made complete or perfected in us. That's that attunement, that connection that we all desperately need. So attunement, okay, tuning in, paying attention to all the verbal and nonverbal messages and reflecting back what you've heard, okay? We deeply connect with the inner world of each other. We need attunement to be able to feel secure. We need attunement to understand God. And neuropsych, because we're studying the, the neurons in our brains, we're discovering that this is the God-given way to handle stress and trauma. 
listening to the Michigan State folks, this is what they tried to do when they invited people into their home. They tried to just listen and understand and reflect back. That must have been so hard for you. I remember years ago, I was teaching Sunday school, and I noticed in the back some woman was crying, and I didn't want to bring attention to it, so I, I kind of kept teaching, being sensitive to what might be going on. And I saw another woman come alongside her and put her arm around her waist and whisper something very short, and the woman automatically just, just relaxed. And I, I finished up, and I was curious, and I saw they were talking later, so I waited till they were done. And then I came over to the woman, and I said, I'm, I'm just curious because it had such a profound effect. What did you say to her? And she said, all I said was, I don't know what you're going through. Don't do it alone. That's it. That's all God asks us to do is come alongside people and say, don't go through this alone. What's, what's going on? And she, she stayed with the person and talked with her a little longer. So I'm now going to go to some things from the other half of church. How many of you are looking at that book right now? Okay, I know some of your small groups are looking at it. I know that you've gone through it. It's a really powerful book. And it talks about 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that the knowledge of the glory of God is experienced in the face of Jesus. And God's love is made complete as we experience each other in our faces, in our smiles, in our voice, in the way that we show each other that you're valued here. Thank you for making me feel welcome. I feel welcome here. I feel like I'm valued here, and I appreciate that. That's part of how we experience it. Through our face and through our eyes, we understand his presence, and we experience joy. And joy is really, really powerful. Regardless of circumstances, we experience joy. So joy doesn't take away all the tough stuff. But it gives us a great resource that helps us deal with the tough stuff that we're going through. And that's really important. And we get that as you get that in your greeting time as I watch you greet. You get that in your small groups. You get that in other connections throughout the week. We experience that joy. We experience being treated as God's breath, being treated as we can see the face of God through each other. Now, when we don't get that, we end up looking for it in other places. Maybe we get overcommitted at work. Maybe we start to use a substance, drugs, alcohol. And it's really sad because we don't feel like we can trust people. When I work with folks struggling with addiction, I ask them, when did your substance become your primary attachment? When did that happen? Who failed you? Who, who that you needed love from were you not able to trust and you started to go to a substance? Or you started to be a workaholic because you didn't get that secure attachment from people. You didn't get people greeting you and valuing you 
Um, and, and that's the foundation, I think, of a lot of addictions. So, okay, let's focus now on how we should relate to one another. Let's focus now on how we can connect more deeply and attune and be tuned in. Because here's what happens when we tune in. We have to move our thought process off of ourselves, and we have to get totally geared in, focused in on the other person. And you know what happens? We actually feel what they're feeling. There's a term called mirror neurons. And if you come to me and you share sadness, and I deeply connect with that sadness, the same neurons are firing in me that are firing in you. Is that beautiful? That's how God made us, that we connect that deeply. We don't just want to give them a card that says, well, you know God's going to work all things out for good. Well, you know, suffering produces perseverance and character and hope. You don't want that. You want people to say, oh, I'm so sorry. That must have been so hard for you. I feel it as you're talking to me. I can feel your, your sadness. That's how to communicate as if people matter. So what do we do? First of all, we got to be a great listener. And the word for listen here means fully comprehend, not just the words like I did on that terrible Christmas, but the nonverbals, um, the gestures, the eye contact, um, and the tone. I don't think you guys ever get in trouble for tone, do you? My wife will say, it wasn't what you said, it was your tone. Well, what's wrong with my tone? Oh, that's what's wrong with my tone. I got it. Okay. They're way better at this. Whether you want to admit it or not, men, your wife is your marriage manual. She knows way more about relationships than you do, so you might as well listen to her rather than fight it. Okay, be a great listener. Communicate that the person is prized. Communicate that they're God-breathed. God breathes his life into us. We became a living soul. And we can connect to all parts, all different emotions that we're feeling and feel accepted and understood. We can be a great encourager. And thank you for reading these verses beforehand. Encourage one another. Consider how we can spur on one another to love and good works. And you will not be a good encourager if you're not a good listener because you won't know exactly what that person needs. So you got to be a good listener, and then you got to be an encourager. Um, a great verse in the Bible that makes me be a lot quieter is Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs that it will benefit those who listen. Ooh, we'd be quieter, wouldn't we? You have to listen and fully understand all the messages and communication to be able to speak like that, to be able to encourage. And then be a graceful truth teller. A graceful truth teller. Let conversation be full of grace. Speak the truth in love. Once you've listened and understood and you've encouraged, 
you now have what I call relational equity. You've got some equity build up that maybe you can say some tougher things with grace and love that they need to hear. But make sure you get yourself together. Make sure you're pulling the plank out of your eye before you point out a speck. And don't do a drive-by, you know, where you just kind of you just kind of let somebody have it and then you walk away. That's not how God intends. Be a part of the solution. Talk with them gracefully. Point something out. That that verse that verse in in um, Galatians six where it says. Restore one another. It means to restore a broken bone. That's what we're doing. We're setting something and we're being a part of the solution. So we're created to thrive when we're prized. We're created to feel deeply loved when we're attuned to, when we're tuned in. We experience the face of God in each other when we talk to each other and listen and build each other up by being a great listener, by being a great encourager, and by being a graceful truth teller. That's how we need to communicate as if people matter because they do. You know, a while back I was doing a study and I started to study something and something hit me that never hit me before. That happens, right? because the word of God is living and active. And it was this, there's only two things in all creation, two things that are God breathed and eternal. God's word and people. Wow. I don't care what your job is. Think about putting an emphasis on the two things in all creation that are God breathed and eternal. God's word and people. That's a great way to commit your life to. So earlier, our missionaries mentioned Tim Keller. He's no longer with us, an incredible man of God, uh, pastored the Redeemer Church in New York City. And this is a quote from one of his books, and this is what we're really after. To be fully known and to be deeply loved. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. Well, they don't, they don't know some of the dark stuff in me. They don't know my struggles. So sure, they love me. But if they really knew me, they might not. To be known, fully known, and not loved, that's our greatest fear. That's what keeps us back from sharing our struggles, sharing things that we're dealing with, because... We don't want to be rejected. But to be fully known and deeply loved is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of self-righteousness. And it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. That's what it means to communicate as if people matter. To have them fully known, and deeply loved. Remember I shared last week, it's not a sin to struggle. And if we can't bring our struggles to each other, we're a desperate people. We need to be able to do that. Father, I thank you for God's breath 
that God breathed into his creation and man and women became a living soul. We have the very we have the being of God in us. And I pray that we would see each other through those eyes, that we would love each other with the love that came from the Father through the Son to the disciples and then to us. And that that love will make sense and we'll start to believe God really does love us because of the way you treat me, because of the way you listen to me. I pray that for this church in the name of Jesus. Amen.